Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There is no name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So you can call my name. Won't much happen. You can call your friends. You can call loved ones and won't much happen. See, but when you call on the name of Jesus, things happen. When you call on the name of Jesus, situations and circumstances can turn. When I look at my Bible, at the name of Jesus, demons bow down. Those in bondage are delivered. Broken are healed. But it's all in the name of Jesus. That name. Jesus. There's no other name. Some of us bound up right now just because we refuse to say the name Jesus. Don't be too high and mighty to call on Jesus. That, 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 that one word prayer. You just be going through sometimes and you can't even get, get the words out. You, you just start groaning. And the situation is so hard, so troubling, that the only thing you can say is, Jesus, you may be laid flat on your back, and you can't get up, and you don't know how to explain it. No, won't nobody understand it. All you can say sometimes is Jesus. And that one word prayer, that one word prayer has power to deliver, to strengthen, to heal, to rescue, to help you endure, for because the Lord knows. Call on Him, call on Him, Jesus. Show up to work tomorrow. Instead of getting mad at everybody, just start calling on the name Jesus. When the kids come home acting crazy, don't don't go off on them first. Let's start calling Jesus, 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 Jesus. Call on him. He will set you free. He will set you free. For he's the one whom we've come to worship today. Let's give the Lord a hand and clap of praise for who he is and what he has done in your life and my life even this past week. But we serve a good God. We serve a faithful God who is a keeper. Amen. Amen. What a privilege and honor to be with you once again, Forest Baptist Church. Grateful that the Lord has kept us another week because Jesus ain't have to give you another day. Jesus didn't have to give us another hour, a moment. Jesus didn't have to give you that very last breath that you just took. It's all because of Jesus, because the word says, for by him all things that were created was created by him and through him and for him. All praise, all honor, all glory belong to Jesus forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, on behalf of the entire Forest Baptist Church family, I'd like to welcome all of our guests. I'd like to welcome you to once again to gather in this corporate worship we we gather not under the banner of forest baptist church we we gather under the banner of jesus christ we gather here today grateful for what he has done but also where you brought us from the lord has brought you out of some stuff he's brought you out of some mess where, where would you be right now had it not been for Jesus? So that's why we show up to praise, honor, and glorify his name and to encourage one another. So prayerfully, that is what we will do on this day. Well, congr congratulations are in order for Brother Xavier and Sister Jasmine, 
they were married on yesterday. And it was a wonderful occasion and grateful to see how the Lord has been working in and through their lives. See, see, your brother thought he was just coming to Louisville to go to seminary. Ha! He thought he just came for edu education. And he done left with a bride. Amen? Boy, oh boy. God is good. So congratulations to them. Uh, I'd like to welcome back my, my brother Alex from Pittsburgh. He, he graduated from Southern Seminary. He went, he went home. And pretty much to get his things because he's moved to Louisville and he's moved into his apartment and he will be serving as our uh, community engagement director uh, to, to mobilize, to equip the body as we engage the neighborhood. So glad that the Lord was with him. His mother's with him this morning, helping him. So praise God for them. And I praise God for you and your faithfulness to the Lord even this week. You may have come through this week with some bumps and bruises, uh, but you're here. You may have come through with some aches and some pains, uh, but you made it. Uh, you may have come through some depression and discouragement, but the Lord has allowed and saw fit for you to show up one more time to the house of the Lord. Amen. Today is special. Uh, really excited about this day today. We have the privilege uh, of having a another child dedication and parent commissioning ceremony. And as the Lord is 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 raising up uh, new families and bringing babies and adding to the number that was already here, uh, we just want to say thank you, Lord, and want to praise Him and, and, and pause. To appreciate what he's doing in the midst here. So our prayer is that we can set aside special days where we lift up what God is doing in the midst. And today is the day as such. So as we would just normally have a child dedication as just part of the service. Just want to pause and, and, and make this uh, a major part of the service. Not to glorify families, but to really glorify God. Because sometimes we just have to pause and to recognize that God is doing something special in the lives of people. And any time a child comes into this world, uh, that child is a blessing. That child is a miracle. Um, I tell people often, if you've seen a childbirth, there's no way that you can say that there is not a God. For everything to go just right, in that, in that room for that child to come out and begin to breathe air. It, it's one of those but, but gods. So on today, we want to celebrate the lives of these new children. So why are we celebrating? Because it's always a good time to celebrate the goodness of God. Uh, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Well, beloved, today is a time to laugh and a time to dance. See, in having a child dedication and parent commissioning ceremony, it, it provides us with an opportunity to intentionally celebrate new life with one another. And today is also an opportunity to hear from, from God specifically what he wants from parents. So today we celebrate the new life of Carter Porter Mitchell with Robert and Regina Betts. We celebrate the new life of Selah Grace Butts with Pastor Jimmy and Brittany Butts. And we also celebrate the new life of Harper Jalen Lindsay with Jarvon and Tanika Lindsay. Amen. And even on any type of special day we have here, we always want to be sensitive that when we come together and we lift up there are those who can join corporately to celebrate with us, but yet privately they have pain in their hearts for whatever reason that may be. And to each and every one of you, I just want to say may God's grace continue to be a source of comfort and strength for you. What this is not, this is not a baby baptism. This is not an infant baptism because in the New Testament, the New Covenant 
sign of baptism is directly related to the proclamation and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe in believer's baptism, that once a person is, is exposed to their sin, they see how wretched a sinner that they are, and they humble themselves by repenting and turning from themselves and, and surrendering, their, surrendering their life to Jesus Christ, it is that moment and that moment alone that a person is saved. Baptism of any kind does not save. It is when a person humbles themselves. You may be here, you may have been sprinkled as a child and believe that you are right with God, but an individual is only right with God when they humble themselves and repent and turn towards Jesus Christ. But even as we dedicate these children to the Lord, we do commission their parents as well because this is an incredible responsibility that they will have for the rest of their lives. Some of y'all are like, yeah, we know for the rest of our lives. They supposed to be out on their own, but they still with me for the rest of your lives. So we commission these parents because we want them to know and understand that there is a difference between Christian parenting and secular parenting. There's a difference between parenting as a Christian and parenting as a non-Christian because the world would have you believe that you are parenting your children to fulfill your dreams, your desires, and just to get a job and get out your house. The world will have you believe that parenting is all about the child and not about the family. See, but Christian parenting is quite opposite. Well, uh, Christian parenting is all about giving God glory from the life of this child, being a responsible steward, and it's not about the child being rich and famous. It is about cultivating an environment where this child will be engaged with the gospel on a consistent and regular basis. Christian goals are, are different because we know, recognize, and understand that the greatest need of our children is Jesus Christ. Not a college education, not a good paying job, not a, a, a fine wife or a handsome husband. The greatest need for anyone is to have a right relationship with the God of the universe. That's the difference between Christian parenting and Christian parenting looks to scripture. Worldly parenting looks to Dr. Phil. Christian parenting listens to hear what Jesus has said. Worldly parenting just tries to listen to what everyone else has said. So whether this is your first child, your second or third as a grandparent or great-grandparent, uh, parenting is one of the most difficult responsibilities one can have. Uh, however, when it's when faced with great challenges that we see the great hand of God move in our lives. So let us this morning look to Scripture and see what biblical framework God has given for raising children and prayerfully, I will be able to provide a few principles for Christian parenting. So if you would, we're going to be looking at, at, at various scriptures, but we're going to launch out of the Gospel of John. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John in your New Testament, the 15th chapter. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5. So if you would, please stand with me in honor the reading of God's word. John the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 5. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. As you look at this text this morning, I'd like to talk to you on the subject of the root of fruitful parenting. The root of fruitful parenting. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Glorious and wise God, we thank you for who you are and the great love that you have for us. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we could not live and to die the death that we deserve. We thank you that upon his resurrection, he poured out his Holy Spirit to guide, direct, to call people unto you and to transform us from the inside out. So, Father, I ask that you would pour forth your Holy Spirit this morning, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear that you would give us the ready hearts to receive your word, that we will be encouraged, that we would be challenged, but that we would find hope in Christ Jesus for our failures and we would not rest on our own strength, but be fully and wholly dependent upon you. May we abide in you this morning, dear God, for we are in desperate need of a savior. Father, save us from ourselves. Save us from thinking that we know what's best when clearly we don't. And we need you. Father, thank you for those who are here. May you speak to one this morning. Who is burdened with sin and various issues of life. May you bring deliverance even now in the name of Jesus. And Father, please hide me behind the cross. May you take my foolish words and make much of them for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Here in the text, Jesus is is speaking to his disciples about the production of righteousness from your life. And he's saying that no one can bear righteousness. No one can do right. No one can do uh, right things and live in a godly way apart from them abiding, resting, depending on, staying connected to himself. We cannot go out and just live a life that is honorable and faithful apart from Jesus filling us and keeping us along the whole way. It's just impossible. We may think we are smart. We, are think, we may think we are well-equipped, but Scripture tells us that we can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who gives us the ability to live right. It is Jesus who gives us the ability to obey his commands, to love one another. Apart from Jesus, we cannot do any of this. This truth bleeds into every aspect of our lives. You can't be a faithful, God-glorifying, love-motivated employee apart from Jesus. You can't be a God-glorifying, loving, love-motivated student apart from Jesus. Single apart from Jesus. You, you can't be a good supervisor apart from Jesus because your motives will always be contrary to the will of God because we're sinful and we're selfish and we want things our way. We want it how we want it, when we want it. And when we don't get it, we pound and we get angry. But God is saying, but when you are in me, you're able to produce righteousness. Now, apart from me, you can't do it. So he, he wants to fill us. He wants us to look to him. And, and this morning we looked at this text to text to instruct our hearts because this goes for parenting as well apart from jesus we can do nothing this morning we launched from this text and uh, my desire is just to point out five principles from scripture for christian parenting five principles for christian parenting but they're so rooted in scripture that's the difference it's not a a motivational speech it's not a gear get rich quick plan but this is what god is saying from scripture on how we are to parent our children the first thing that we can see in scripture plainly is that parents must see their children as part of god's divine plan to spread his glory throughout all of creation i say that again parents must see their children as part of god's divine plan to spread his glory throughout all of creation we can simply call this the purpose of parenting. Have you ever asked yourself, what is the purpose of parents? 
Now, based upon our lives, we may think we're taxi drivers. We may think we're caterers. We may, may think we're, we're bank accounts, but those are just things that parents do. That's not the purpose of parenthood. When we want to understand what is the purpose of parenthood, we look to scriptures because what a parent does and, and what a parent has been created for is completely different. Turn with me to Genesis, the first chapter. In Genesis, the first chapter, the text tells us everything we need to know. In the beginning, God, he creates everything. And in creating everything, God sets forth a blueprint on how life should be. And in Genesis, the first chapter, verses 26 through 28, we see this creation mandate that God is laying out for those who we have created in his own image. Verse 26 says of the first chapter of Genesis, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our image, after our likeness, and let, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in God's creation mandate, he says, be fruitful and multiply. He's talking to uh, the, the husband and wife. He's talking to Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were, they're, they're, they're representatives of God's kingdom on earth. And their whole purpose is to act as viceroys, to stand in God's place, to rule and to reign over all of creation that he has just created. And he says, just as I have dominion over the entire galaxy, I have created this earth and you will have dominion on over it for me. And as they, as they would uh, uh, have dominion and till the land and, and take care of the animals, uh, he says one thing, though. He says, be fruitful and multiply. That, that, that mandate is, is, is what he's doing is saying you are to reproduce in a way that your, child, your children will begin to multiply and cover the entire face of the earth. So now the earth will be a reflection of my likeness. The earth will be a reflection of my glory. But most of all, the earth will be a reflection of worship. That is what's taking place in this creation mandate. Be fruitful and multiply that the glory of God may be seen, but that worship may take place. Beloved, the whole purpose of the family is the, the family is the divinely created means for the propagation of the gospel and the expansion of worship of God throughout the earth. That's the purpose of the family. In other words, the whole purpose of your family is to show off God. That's the purpose. You are to show up, not, not to point to you, but that God would use you, your family, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and a legacy of gospel faithfulness and witness will be established as such that when people look upon your life, they won't see your family, but they will see God's family, his glory. And worship will begin to take place because wherever God's glory shows up, worship ain't far behind. The family has been created for worship. See, now here's the illustration. Don't, don't be mad at me if you got one. Because when, I, when I'm out and about, one, one of the things I just can't stand, I'm sorry, I'm just going to lay it out there. I'm just going to be transparent. One, I cannot stand them selfie sticks. I can't stand selfie sticks. I think they're the worst creation ever created. Selfie sticks. The whole purpose of the selfie stick is to stick your phone on it so you could get a better view of yourself. The whole purpose of the selfie stick is to capture moments for you so you can glorify yourself. So, so the, the, the purpose of this device is to bring glory to yourself, beloved. The purpose of your life is to bring glory to God. The reason you have been created is to show off Jesus to all those you come in contact with. You have not been created for your own glory, but a glory that is greater than your own. 
So when we think about the family, it's not, oh, how cute them babies are or how well behaved they are. It's do they reflect Christ? In some way, are you reflecting the glory of God through your family? See, for everyone in here this morning, not just parents, God's creation order for your family is to be show-offs for God. See, this means that God didn't create little Johnny or Susie, oh, my, my bad, my context. He, he, he didn't create Tyrone or Lele to be the next best thing. He didn't create them to be the next best athlete, the next best genius, the next best movie star, the ne- next best politicians, though we may need some. But not, not, that's not the primary goal of your children. The primary goal of the family is to bring worship to God. See, which begs the question, what's most important to your family? What priorities do you have as a family? One way we can determine our priorities is what do you spend your money on and where do you spend your time? What do you spend your money on? That will show you your priorities. Because you, you, you can come to church and you can say, well, God is my number one priority, but but your, your, your bills say it's something else. Your time as a family says something else. Beloved, we are placed here to make good use of our time. Life is short. Life is but a vapor. But the time we are here, God calls us to be faithful representatives of his kingdom, to bring glory to his name. So that means I may have to cut out something over here in order to spend time with my children, showing them scripture, teaching them scripture, not just taking them to church. See, because what's the truth? You you at church maybe one, two, three hours a week. A week. And if you are relying upon one hour a week for the encouragement and edification of your spiritual matur- maturation, then you are not growing. You have to take what is what is taught in church, what is taught in Sunday school, go home as a family, begin to discuss this. Now, now Jesus ain't a foreign thing to your family. Prayer is not foreign to your family. It's like, daddy know how to pray? It's like, it's like no, this is, this is real because it's normal and it happens. But if we aren't investing the time in our family, we will not fulfill this purpose in parenting. Secondly, parents must continually fight to see children as gifts from God, created for his glory and our good. I'll say that one more time. Parents must continually fight to see children as gifts from God created for his glory and our good. We can call this the perspective in parenting. I touched on it a little before in uh, in the beginning, but there is a sacred and secular divide and perspective for parenting. See, the sacred, the, the secular culture, the, the world really see children as nuisances. They get in the way. They take up too much money. They take up too much of my time. They, they, they're noisy and they break things. So, so the world has a, a, a perspective of children and more of a and not a gift. See, but, but God has his perspective on what children are. And, and beloved, if we are ever going to be faithful to God, we have to believe his perspective over our, our perspective or the culture's perspective. Turn with me to Psalm, the book of Psalms, the 127th division of Psalm, verses 3 through 5. Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5, the word of God says, Behold, children are a heritage, are a blessing, are a gift from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. 
He should not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Beloved, God is saying to us that children are a blessing. They are a gift. They are something of value. See, he says like arrows in the hand of a warrior. How can a warrior even go to battle when he doesn't have bows, when he doesn't have arrows? Can I, can, 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 how important are arrows to a warrior? He, he can't fight apart from having the right equipment. And that's how important children are. They're, they are a gift to be cherished, not a curse to be put off. It is so important to have the right perspective in parenting because if you don't have the right perspective, then you can quickly get frustrated and bitter and angry all the time with your children. Children are a blessing from God. But then notice that children are also a stewardship. To be a steward means that you have been giving something to use on the behalf of someone else. So as parents... We have to recognize and understand those children ain't yours. They don't belong to you. Yeah, you pay all the bills. Yeah, they live in your house. They eat up your food. But guess what? Those children belong to God, just like the money he gave you to pay the bills, to have a roof over your head, and to make sure that there's food on the table. See, that We are just stewards. We don't go through life Holding on to our children as if they're mine and, and, and we know what's best for them. No, we have open hands and we say, Lord, you show me. You direct me. You guide me in how to steward this child's life. Lord, if this child want to grow up and you put a desire in their heart to be a missionary in, in, in a foreign country that's full of danger, the Lord, I can't stop that. I just need to be prayerful that, that I can trust you know what you're doing. We're stewards. They don't belong to us. We don't possess them. We don't own them. But then also, beloved, this is beautiful what God does. Children are for our sanctification. Ha! Ah. See, it's all about perspective. If you belong to God, if you are a child of the Most High King, and, 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 and the Holy Spirit is living in you and working through you, that means you ain't finished yet. You ain't done. You still got some growing to do. You still got some sin in your life. You got some purifying that needs to take place. And what God does to believers is he takes people's situations, circumstances, and bring them into your life, not just to make you feel bad or frustrated, but he begins to turn up the heat on your life and to get rid of those impurities. And so now you take someone who, uh, a happily married couple, they, they don't have children, it's all about them too. And the Lord says, all right, I'm about to start breaking down some stuff. I'm about to start breaking down some pride and breaking down some selfishness. I'm just going to ask some children. Ha! Try to be selfish with a baby. Crying at 2, 3 in the morning. Try to be selfish. And they'll win. Because what you're going to do? Get up and go feed them. Yeah, you wake up, you don't, you don't know where you at, you don't know your name, but you know where the bottle is, you know, you know how to mix it. God uses children as a sanctification tool in your life. And, and God will begin to destroy that selfishness that we are. We selfish. That's just who we we're sinners. We're selfish. We, we, we complain, we grumble. We easily frustrated, easily offended. And what God begins to do is to take children and, and push at those sinful errors in your life. And, and, and you will keep screaming. And until you call out Jesus, he's going to keep pushing that button. Until you say, Jesus, I can't, I can't control them. You have them. Jesus, I can't put food on the table like I need to. You take them. Jesus, I, they are out of control and I'm losing my mind. Jesus. And he begins to produce in you a dependence that had it not been for the Lord on our side, we sure would have failed. So children are a means of sanctification for us. They're not curses. See, when it comes to our children, we should have an attitude of gratitude. Why? Because God chose you. To give this gift to. 
He chose you. No other parent could parent this child. Nobody else in the whole world has been given the right gifts and ability to raise this child. God gave that child to you. So children are a gift. So that's the perspective we are to have as parenting. But the third principle that we look at as Christian parenting is that parents must prepare themselves to be used of God before they can train their children to live for God's glory. Let me see that one more time. Parents must prepare themselves to be used of God before they can train their children to live for God's glory. We'll call this the preparation for parenting. The preparation for parenting. You know, when I uh, talk to uh, couples and sometimes young couples and uh, they've been dating for a while and I ask questions like, well, why y'all been dating for so long? Like, well, why don't y'all get married? And they say things, well, we ain't, we ain't ready to get married yet. You know, I, I, I still got to finish this, and we don't have enough money in the bank. And, and I just step back and tell them, look, 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 I'm just going to give you a hand. You ain't never ready to get married. There's always going to be something in the way. Something's going to come up. It's going to be a distraction. But then that couple, they get married, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, we don't want to have children because we don't have enough money in the bank. We ain't got enough space. And I say the same thing. You ain't never ready for children. You're never ready for children, but you can be prepared. Is there a class? Well, we got scripture. Turn for me to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. We'll specifically start with verse four. This is what is called the Shema. Jews would recite this to remind themselves whose they were. And it says in Deuteronomy 6, beginning with verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In verse 5, this is the key right here. Before I could teach anybody else the love of God, to love God, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul and with all your might and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, but the commandment is to teach your children the statutes and commandments of God. But what does he say? Before you can teach something, you got to know something. He says, with your heart and with your soul and with your might. And he said, and these words I command you today shall be on your heart until Jesus gets a hold of your life. Until he begins to transform you from the inside out. You will never have the ability to instill into your children that love for Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not the center of your heart in parenting, then you will be the center of your heart in parenting. And what happens is when you are the center of your heart in parenting, now everything becomes about your name and your reputation. So you, so you, your, your behavior guidelines for your children now become based upon what you think other people are going to think about you. So you tell them to do this and not do that. So now everybody else is running your house and you ain't even running your house. And now when they break those rules, that, that, those laws that you have come up with, now they get in trouble for embarrassing you. Y'all get over here. What y'all think this is? Don't you know where we are there? See you. And what if they see you? My reputation now is tarnished. Because I'm like, you know, so-and-so, they don't know how to keep their children. If I was them, you know, you always, you always got that. If I was them, and if you was, you probably wouldn't be filled with the grace to even have the patience not to go to jail right now. But when Jesus is not the center of your heart, parenting becomes all about you. 
your hopes, your goals, your dreams, your visions, your glory. But when Jesus becomes the center of your heart, now when I'm parenting, when I'm disciplining, I'm not disciplining because I have been ashamed or I have been embarrassed. I'm disciplining to point my child's heart back to Jesus. I don't discipline because they've just been acting a fool. I discipline them to say, to show them that you are in sin and you are not only sinning against me, you're not only sinning against your parents, but you are sinning against a, against a holy and righteous God that if you do not repent, his wrath will fall upon you. We're parenting the hearts to point them to Jesus and not ourselves. But that can never happen if I don't love Jesus myself. So when we allow scripture to reveal our blind spots and to correct us and to guide us and to show us. See, like love and wisdom, you can't truly pass on your faith unless you know God for yourself. Fourthly, parents must be involved, intentional and trusting in God's long term plan of raising their children for his glory. Parents must be involved, intentional, and trusting in God's long-term plan of raising their children for his glory. We'll call this one the process of parenting. So what parenting technique do you use? And where did you get that from? See, most of us fall along the lines of, uh, we have the inherited plan. That's the plan that we just got because mom and them did that to us. They beat me, so I'm going to beat you. They did this, so I'm going to do this. So, so it, it, we, we haven't get, given much thought to, the, to our children and to our home and to what God says. It's merely, we, we, just, we, we just mirroring what has been given to us. So you got that inherited plan, but then on the other side, you got that forfeited plan. Because you were treated a, a way, you said, but when you left, I ain't never going to make my, my son do that. I ain't going to never do this. And you go to the opposite end. Now you're just parenting in reaction to what you was raised like. So, we, so we're looking and we're trying to figure out how to raise our children. But we got these broken plans because we, we are broken people. And, and, and we're, we're full of sin. God says, look to him for guidance. See, as Christians, we have to be different. There's another way. This year, there's been a lot of talk of the uh, Philadelphia 76ers basketball team and how they have been rebuilding their franchise by drafting young, talented athletes and by, uh, through free agency, bringing on some veterans to, to be a part of it and, 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 and everything is coming together. So they've been living under this mantra of trust the process, trust the process. And, and, and when they talk about how, how slow things are going, they just say, trust the process. And beloved, sometimes we get ahead of ourselves as Christians and we think just because we said it once that our children really get it. And, and we're not trusting the process that God has given us to, to train our children that this is not a microwave, McDonald's fast food type process. This is a lifelong, yeah, beloved, a lifelong, ongoing, continual process. Some of y'all got grown children. You're still speaking into their life. And beloved, if you have children, there should never be a point where you just stop speaking into their life because God is giving you a specific type of wisdom to pass on. This is a lifelong process. Well, how does it work? Turn with me to Ephesians 6 chapter quickly. This is one of many passages of scripture that I kind of use to break down. So, I, so, I, so what do we do? How do we do this? Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verse four, and it simply says this. It's a threefold Outline. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Three things from this text that we can see and how and, and, and how we are to raise our children. The first thing that the text tells us to do, don't provoke your children to wrath. 
Don't provoke them to anger. Well, what does that mean? That means you raise your children in, in, in a way that produces contentiousness in them, that causes them to have bitterness against you, to, 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 to be angry with you and the family, and, and, and they, they end up turning their back on you and running away from you, and they don't want any part of you because you have provoked them to anger. The text says fathers, but it's fathers and mothers. Well, how do we do this? S some ways that we do, that we provoke our children to anger is through neglect. We just don't spend no time with them. Everything else is more important than them. Our job is more important than them. Our homeboys are more important than them. Our girls are more important than them. Our church is more important than them. Everything else is more important than them. And, and our children get the leftovers of our life. So now, everything that takes mommy and daddy's time, I hate because it's taking them from me. And it provokes them to anger. You provoke your children to anger through abuse. Now, we, now when we hear abuse, the first thing we think is like physical abuse. But beloved, uh, emotional abuse is even worse. You can take a beating and keep on going, but let somebody say some hard words to you. They will stay with you for the rest of your life. We provoke our children by constantly finding fault in them, being critical of them. You can't do nothing right. We provoke our children when we refuse to listen to them. When we live out, uh, when we think that children are to be seen and not heard, they've been created in the image of God just as you have. And their value, their dignity and worth is not based upon how old they are, but because God created them. We provoke our children by being too permissive. We just let them do everything. God created us to have some structure and some order. So when we are raising a child, we just let them do what they want to do, go where they want to go, say what they want to say. We, we will end up provoking them to wrath because they'll get older and, and, and say things like, man, I wish, I wish my parents told me to go to bed at night. I wish my parents made me do my homework. Or I wish my parents made me stay away from having double standards or changing standards. One way to rule is this, and the next day to rule is that. And then ultimately, discord and conflict constantly in the house provokes your children to anger. That's what God gives his people, the Holy Spirit. Because the text says that the Holy Spirit fills you and brings forth love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's why we are told to not walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. And when we walk in the spirit, now we will give that child exactly what he or she needs throughout their life. But not only do we not provoke our child, we discipline, discipline your children. It says, but bring them up in the discipline. This is more, this word here talks about the external training of behavior. Make some rules and make them keep them. Set up some guidelines that, that, that are not arbitrary, but that will help them understand authority and responsibility. Beloved, I, I didn't know if you knew, but children are sinners. Did y'all know that? I mean, they're they little snotty-nosed sinners. And, and they're born like that. Well, they're so cute. No, they're sinners too. You could be a cute sinner. Because the Bible tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They come into this world separated and alienated from God. And what they see in our homes is the first, is the first uh, place where authority and rule is set up. So we need to have discipline in our homes not, not because we, we want to take the fun away, but because we want to show them how to live under the authority of a holy and righteous God. If you can't obey mom and daddy, you sure ain't going to obey Jesus. So there's that discipline that comes, but then also the text says an instruction of the Lord. This is more of the internal process where we, we're teaching and, and training the heart of this child where it, it where as they grow older, 
They don't have as many rules, but we have been speaking to their heart in such a way that they're able to handle that responsibility. Their failures uh, have been pointing, uh, that we point their failures to Christ and the grace that comes in him. We point them to the fact that they are sinners in need of a savior. So we begin to instruct the hearts of our children. And we're intentional along the whole way. Beloved, in parenting, more is caught than taught. You can tell your children to do this or that, but what they're really looking at is your life. What your life reflects, they will pick up quickly. Lastly, parents must recognize their inability to be good parents and trust that God's grace is sufficient. Parents must recognize their inability to be good parents and trust that God's grace is sufficient. This last one we'll call the promise to parents. You know, as parents, we're, we're not guaranteed success. See, we can point to texts like Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he, even when he's old, he will not depart. But, but when we read that text in Proverbs, that's not a guarantee, a promise. That is a way of life that things probably will go. So when we think about that text, we don't, we don't take it as, well, if I just get my child to church, they'll be all right. No, it's, it's, it's more than that. Beloved, in a sense, your children should fail in spite of you and not because of you. Like, if your, if your children fail, let it not be because you've placed stumbling blocks in their life. Let it be because, you, because they have chosen to turn their backs on a righteous and holy way. So when we think about parenting, and we know there's no, no guarantees that everything is going to turn out, out fine, that scares us. To know that you're investing in, into this child, but not to know his or her trajectory. But you know what? God does have a promise, and he promised us grace. Let's look at last verse, 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verse, beginning with verse 9. And it says, but he said to me, Paul is talking about what God has, has spoken to him because of a situation in his life. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then he is strong. See, grace says you ain't always got to be right. Grace says you ain't always got to have a plan. Grace says that you are going to fail. And grace says, but I'm sufficient for you. See, the American dream is to be this perfect parent. And their child has these perfect measurements and these perfect scores. But truth be told, we all know that we are failures when it comes to parenting, to working, to being People of God, we fail each and every day. And if we don't boast in our weakness and only boast in our strength, we will be crushed. But look what grace does. Grace says, give me your worst and I'll make it my best. He says, boast in your weakness. He, he doesn't say come into church and act like you got it all together. He doesn't say come into church and act like you could tell every other parent how to raise a child because you just got it all together. He says, no, boast in your weakness. He says, when you show up to church, stop showing up sugar sharp and show up broken so someone else can pour into you. He says, when you walk through the door, you go to your brother and sister and says, I've had a hard week. I'm struggling. I have not been able to get them to do X, Y, and Z. And the text says that we, when we stop boasting in ourselves and start boasting in our weakness, that all of a sudden Jesus shows up and makes everything all right. 
when we boast in our weakness, the power of Jesus shows up. When I say I'm a miserable failure as a father, I don't have to bow my head in depression because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But when I bow my head, I'm saying, but thanks be to God through his son, Jesus Christ, that grace has been given to me. That though I may fall flat on my face, his grace will pick me right back up so I can try one more time. I boast in my infirmities. And if we're going to boast, that means we got to tell somebody what's going on. Because when I tell somebody what's going on in my life and then Jesus shows up with his power, that's that's another witness that God is faithful and he's able to take care of you no matter the situation, the circumstance, or issue. When we stop walking around so strong, then Jesus will actually show up in our lives. When we stop trying to have it all together, then Jesus will show up in our house. What does he say? For when I am weak, ha, when you are miserable, when you've blown it, when you've lost it, when you don't win ham on your your, your, your babies because they done put ketchup all over the wall, when you didn't give them the right formula when they was two, because you dropped them when they was one, he says because when you are weak, when you are lowly, When you are down, not when you are up high, but when you are weak, then Jesus says, I am strong. Because when I show up, it was nothing but mess. It was nothing but chaos. But when I showed up, you saw how strong I was. And I was able to put my hand and begin to change the situation. Grace promises us. We have Strength in Christ. What a promise. What a promise. Jesus is the root of fruitful parenting. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Is Jesus the center of your heart today? Is Jesus the center of your life? Do you love him with all your heart, your soul, and your strength? Does your money, does your time reflect that? Because the text tells us that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. So that means apart from Jesus being your Lord and Savior today, you can't go to heaven. Apart from Jesus living within you and causing you to love him, to love his word, and to love his people. See, that that's the way you know you're right with God, and you know you got Jesus in your life. Do you love Jesus? Do you love his word? And do you love his people? Some of y'all are like, I'll take the first one. <laughs> no. Jesus produces that in you. That's one way that you know. But if we have not humbled ourselves before a holy and righteous God, if we've never said, Lord, I'm sorry, for living for myself. I'm sorry for being the center of my old world. Would you please forgive me? Would you please come into my heart and save me? And allow me to live for you. And allow me to parent my uh, to be a parent who loves you so I can pass along that faith to my children. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then today is the day of salvation. Because before you can be a Christian parent, you got to be a Christian first. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus, not the church. Don't have a personal relationship with the church. The church can't save you. This is just the outworking of what God is doing. But you turn from yourself. And what does he say? Admit your weakness. Lord, I'm weak. I'm sinning all the time. I don't want to go left, but I keep going left. Please forgive me for going left and help me to go right. You believe that Jesus did come and that he did live a life that was sinless and that he he did die upon Calvary's cross, but you also believe that he rose again on the third day. And he has power, all power in his hand right now. Trust Jesus today. There's a purpose in parenting. 
There's a perspective in parenting. There's preparation for parenting. There's the process of parenting. Then lastly, there's a promise to parents. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. I ask that you would speak to us through your word, that you would challenge us with the fact that we are sinners and you are calling us to lay down our lives and trust in you. Lord, please forgive us for our sins. Lord, please forgive us as failures, as parents. Lord, your grace and your forgiveness goes past, present, and future. So, Lord, there's, there's no reason to hang our heads in condemnation when we are in Christ Jesus. But we simply confess our sins and trust in you to renew and to strengthen us each and every day. So, Lord, I ask that you would speak to one today who doesn't have a personal relationship with you, who's living life for their own reason, for their own purposes, for their own glory, that you would show them that they can't have heaven without Jesus, and that they are separated from you. Please draw one today, dear God. These things we ask in Jesus' precious and holy name, we do pray. Amen. Amen.